Hey everybody, on this episode of the podcast, we have a special guest, and I will introduce him in a minute, but we are going to be talking about UFO abductions and uh, just uh, what's behind all of that, and we're going to unpack that in a really big way. This is a really, really phenomenal guest that we have on in podcast, wouldn't you say so, Rosie? Yes, I would. <laughs> it's a really, it's a really good. It's gonna blow your mind. Yeah, and 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 I think uh, it's one of my one of my. I say this all the time, but like it was one of my more exciting ones to sit down and just actually listen to, as our guest was sharing. Yeah. So we'll get we'll stump we'll jump into that in just a second, um, and so you want to listen to that, but uh, so what do you know, man? Hey, did you know? <laughs> Uh, well, how about I'll ask this. Do you yeah. know who Robert England is? Uh, England. Robert England. Yes, he's an actor. Oh, Bob England. No, I don't. Do you know who Freddy Krueger is? <laughs> yes. Okay, so Robert England is the actor oh, that the... played Freddy Krueger. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, you and know so what? You, I did know so that. Reckon... Yeah, okay. Yeah. So did you know that he was briefly considered uh, for a, a little-known movie uh, as the main character of a 1977 movie? Star Wars? Yes. What? As who? Luke Skywalker. As Luke Skywalker? Really? But guess what? (laughs) What? So he had a friend who just happened to be sleeping on his couch at the time. And uh, can you guess who that uh, actor was? Mark Hamill? Yeah. (laughs) And so Robert was tired and he was like, hey, Mark, you should go audition for this Luke Skywalker guy. And Mark's like, yeah, okay, I'll do do that. (laughs) And... uh, so that's how Mark Hamill became so Skywalker. Freddy, Freddy Krueger gave Luke his job. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, and they lived together. You know, that's the perfect. Did you know? Because we're talking about you're talking about Star Wars. I didn't think about that until now. Yeah, you just said that. And our whole our whole podcast is on alien aliens and alien abductions. Yeah, and, and we can pro- I'll promise this. Yeah, is that if you listen to our previous episode on aliens. Oh, the, is, the it, one that we did like it, episode thirty or something like yeah. that. I forget what it was. It's not that. <laughs> this one's <laughs> it's <not> actually that. <laughs> really informative, and uh, it'll blow your mind. Yeah, it this will. was this was a really cool game. This guy's an authority. Yeah, so, it, yeah. So uh, we'll well, let's just jump into it. It's a long one, so we don't want to waste any more of your time. Yeah. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. Well, on the podcast today, we have Joseph Jordan. He is the co-founder and head of CE4 Research Group. That is an alien abduction investigation and research team. It was originally based out of Cocoa, Florida, but now it's located in South Korea. Uh, Joseph has worked for NASA at the Kennedy Space Center as a safety specialist, and he currently works in South Korea as a, as a contractor, as a safety professional supporting the Department of Defense. You can find all of his information in our show notes. We'll put all the links to his website so that you can contact him or reach out to him or just find more information if you want via that way. But I want to welcome to the podcast for the first time ever, Joe, Joseph, Jordan. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you for having me on. 
Well, we're Our pleasure. <laughs> we're glad that you could spend time with us. We we are fascinated with with this topic. Um, there seems to be a real surge in the past few years of interest, both in public and just in the media and in, in movies, obviously, and uh, with this phenomenon of aliens and alien abduction and all of that. And I, I want to just give you a moment to explain what CE4 does and kind of how you came to be where you are today, if you don't mind. Well, that's more than a moment. <laughs> I've, been at this for, I've been at this now for going on 25 years. And back in 1992, um, a simple book that I picked up caught my interest. I was on a vacation trip to Alaska, and I needed something to read on the plane. That was back before we had all the fancy electronics on the planes that we have today. Mm-hmm. And uh, you needed to have a magazine or a book to read on a long flight. Um, I picked up a book in Orlando, headed to Alaska, a 10-hour flight. I didn't see any magazines that caught my attention, but one book did. And the reason this book did because I was an avid science fiction reader when I was younger. And this book, originally, when I picked it up, it looked like a science fiction book, the way the title read. But when I turned it over and looked at the you know synopsis on the back telling me what the book was about, um, it was everything but science fiction Mm. and that puzzled me because i knew what science fiction was i knew science fiction was fantasy i knew it was used for escapism where you could pick up a science fiction book crawl away in your bed in your room and take a trip off to other planets and other solar systems and meet other types of life and it was strictly you know an opportunity to escape from reality you know for a momentary time Uh, Nowadays, we see people doing that in other ways, like drugs and things like that. But books were great back then. Mm. And I picked this one up thinking it was, you know, science fiction, too. And it was blurring that line between fantasy and reality. Because the synopsis said this book was about an investigation into an event that happened in 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. Mm. Supposedly a crashed alien space, you know, spaceship. And I said, you know, that, that's fantasy. That's strictly fantasy. It can't be real. You know, so because of that, I had to read this book. I had to see what they were talking about. And I did finish the book, and all it did was raise many more questions <laughs> um, to, what I, to what I didn't know about this phenomenon. And that set me on a quest to find the answers to it. And led me to meet some very interesting people that were in uh, positions of, you know, knowing answers. Um, and it got me involved with the Mutual UFO Network, which I became a member. Okay. The Mutual UFO Network is the largest grassroots uh, UFO investigative organization in the world. It has upwards of 5,000 members at any one time around the globe. And it is looking for the answers to this phenomenon. And it does it using scientific method. Uh, it has many consultants and uh, degreed researchers that are working with them, as well as local field investigators. You know, um, people like I started out as just following up on sighting reports. You know, calls that come in. And 
when I first became involved in MUFON, I strictly was looking at it as that aspect as a, a field investigator. But it wasn't long before MUFON was telling me, you know, we don't have a chapter set up in your county, which is uh, which was Brevard County in Florida, where the Space Center is located. And we can use somebody like yourself to set up a group there and uh, build up a group with more field investigators working under you and help get the message out, you know, to the public. I said, all right, I'll, I'll step up to the plate on that. And I became the state section director for Bavard County, Florida. It was, I actually did that for about 10 years when I was there. And uh, part of it was holding a monthly meeting for the public. That was one of my responsibilities as the state section director, to be able to share with the public uh, the things we were working on and the things MUFON had come across uh, to educate the public on the phenomenon and also to try to bring in more members. Because MUFON is a nonprofit organization that relies on funding, uh, donations, and um, subscriptions, you know, to the MUFON Journal by their members to be able to pay for research, you know, real in-depth research on things that they come across trying to get the answers to this. So that's what I started doing in the beginning. And then what, when I had the meetings, it was interesting because I used to hold them at the uh, Coco Library in Brevard. Mm -hmm. uh, you can use a room at a public library for free as long as you're not charging to use the room. Uh, most every library in every city is like that. And they'll even, you know, give you the ability to use their audiovisual, you know, tools that they have available, TVs, VCRs, um, you know, DVD players, whatever, so you can share information and have a decent meeting. Um, so that was, you know, really nice that I didn't have to put anything out for that. It was all there free to use. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting is when you hang a sign on a door that says, free UFO meeting. <laughs> The type of people that show up to a meeting like this. You know, I had no idea who was going to show up. And I didn't even think about it. And then I got all sorts of people come in there with stories to tell that were just, oh, my, I never heard anything like this. Keep in mind, at, at this point in my life, I was um, coming into this as a agnostic humanist. You know, I didn't believe in God. I was pretty much science-based. Um, was a hardworking guy for a national boat company, international boat company at the time. Ended up working for them for 24 years. Um, but I had no interest in this subject. You know, it wasn't until I picked up that book. And I didn't believe that aliens existed. I said, you know, you've got to prove to me this. And this was how it was going to be done by doing investigations. You know, I needed to see the real hard stuff. Well, we had people coming to these meetings with these stories. And I'm like, you know, this is incredible. This is the best science fiction stuff I've ever heard of. But to these people, it was a reality. Mm -hmm. You know, this stuff supposedly really happened to them, especially along the lines of alien abductions. I didn't expect to get into that area, but <laughs> a lot of the people that were coming to the meeting had stories that they had to tell of being taken at night and things being done to them and then returned. And, you know, they had these memories of them that were disturbing. Um, you know, and it, actually, the more we talked to them, the more we realized that these people were traumatized. I mean, their lives had been turned upside down. Mm. Most of them were, you know, suffering from what we call today, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And they were coming to these meetings 
expecting to find help. You know, they thought that because we were the, the so-called professionals, you know, UFO researchers and investigators, that we would have answers for them. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't. You know, we were we were there looking for the same answers they were mm-hmm. to the same questions. It's just that they had actually had a personal experience where we hadn't. And the more I saw these people and, and listened to what was happening to them, the more I got the idea that, you know, it's one thing to chase secondhand uh, flying saucer reports, you know, or sighting reports mm-hmm. that people call in, uh, and talking to these people who were so-called having personal experiences with the people behind the UFO events. You know, these were the front line. So I talked to my my fellow uh, investigators that I had, and I said, uh, you know, if we're going to look at this and get to some real serious answers, I think we need to focus on the abduction phenomenon. Yeah. And I said, it's front line. These guys are there. They're in contact with the beings themselves. And I said, I think we're going to find true answers here. So we decided to turn our focus to that area. And I said, you know, guys, before we do, before we take this on, we need to educate ourselves as much as possible into this phenomenon. So we started consuming everything we could get our hands on from the world's leading researchers. Uh, John Mack, Bud Hopkins, Jack Belay, everybody that had been working in this realm. Mm-hmm. to try to get an understanding the best we could so that when we stepped into this realm to start doing investigations and you know working with these people one-on-one, that we wouldn't cause them any more damage. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing we did not want to do was to harm these people in, in any any more than what they've already been done by these entities that were behind this abduction experience. And that's where we decided to set our focus apart our, um, from MUFON, set it apart from MUFON, but always welcoming MUFON to look at the, the information that we were gleaning from our research. Mm-hmm. Uh, MUFON wasn't set up at the time to research abduction experiences. Uh, they just they didn't have a, a structure in place to be able to, to work with these people. So we decided to form our own group, but always leave the findings open for peer review. Mm-hmm. We keep them posted on the internet to where anybody can see them. And by doing this, we weren't falling under the title of MUFON. We wouldn't, you know, put them in any. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, legal. In any position. Yeah, yeah legal issues. <laughs> you know, that would fall on CE4. So we formed CE4 Research Group. And in the beginning, it was myself and uh, my co-founder, and which is one of my leading investigators that I had in the group, in the MUFON group. And the other ones were also field investigators working with me in my MUFON group. But I felt that in the beginning that most of us needed to be move on train in, in investigations so that we would be able to be uh, respected in the way that we went about doing the research. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we were trained by MUFON and their, their methodology, then we should be able to have our findings respected by MUFON when they come to look at right. And over the years, I've tried to keep it that way. The CE4 research group is not a, an actual set group of people. Uh, over the past 20 years, people have come and gone. Um, it's been a voluntary group that 
Uh, I set up the foundation of it, and I continued with it, you know, for the past 25 years. And anybody that wants to help, they're welcome to help. I consider them part of the group until they decide they got other things they need to do or move on, you know, or, or figure they've done as much as they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's kind of how the, the group is. I, I call it a group because they do have people working with me all the time. Uh, they come and go. But it's just not a structured group where I can say, here's our members, you know. Sure. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, yeah. And it was a couple of years into our studies that we came across something very powerful. And that changed the whole course of our research group for those years on till present. Mm-hmm. And that finding that we made back then is what our focus has been on and is what we feel has been the most powerful evidence showing what this phenomenon is truly about and who's behind it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been doing for all these 20 years now is documenting that and building the evidence, building the case to show you that this is what we believe it is and how much evidence does it take for you to understand what it is. And that's what CE4 has been working on. Hmm. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how you came to faith, because you mentioned that you were you were you know, agnostic humanist. Yeah. <laughs> how did that play into all of this? Well, that was the perspective that I came into this in the beginning. That was the let's say the glasses that I looked at this phenomenon through. Um, that you know, that's the way I was viewing this. Mm-hmm. But as we started holding these meetings and these people started coming with these fascinating stories, there was another aspect that um, I recognized in the people that were coming there is they had developed a spirituality because of this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. They had, they had. They were looking for something, you know, in there looking for answers. They had come across a type of spirituality that was supposedly helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was warned by MUFON to not deal with this group of thought, uh, this, this focus of thought, because it wasn't something that they could look at scientifically. Right. What I'm talking about here is most of these people that had these experiences were connected in the New Age realm and metaphysics in some one way or another. Mm-hmm. Because the New Age realm and the metaphysical realm, which are kind of one and the same, yeah. um, were offering answers to these people for what was happening to them, where nobody else was, at least what they believed were answers. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a hope in any way. You know, they didn't have a true answer to how to make it stop or anything for them. <laughs> right but they were trying to. And these people had gotten caught up in this pseudo-religion, I guess you'd call it, of the New Age. Mm-hmm. And as I listened to them, even though MUFON was saying, you know, stay away from this part of the of this phenomenon, as an honest, open researcher, I, I kept looking at it and going, you know, I can't just ignore this part of the phenomenon. Because if you're honestly looking for an answer, you have to look at all of it. Mm-hmm. You have to bring in all the pieces of the puzzle and put them on the table. 
You can't just say, I'm going to look at this part and this part, but this part we're not going to look at, okay? Mm -hmm. But we're going to find an answer. Well, you know, that part you're leaving out might change the way that picture looks. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's what they were afraid of. Right. So I started looking at this belief system that they had, being that I didn't have one of my own. (laughs) Um, I started looking at it, trying to understand it, and trying to understand how it was affecting their thinking, um, you know, along with their experiences. And the more I started looking into it, the more I was being sucked into it myself. Mm. And it wasn't long before I was a new age practitioner, you know, and I was even to the point to where I was, after a couple of years, I was converting Christians that didn't know what they believed to, you know, Mm. new age and metaphysical thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very seductive belief system. Um, It's based on the quest for knowledge, secret knowledge. You know, and when you think you have some secret knowledge, you know, it affects the ego and you feel mm-hmm. puffed up and you think you got something that nobody else has, you know, and it, it that's the seduction to it, you know. Yeah. And the idea of the New Age realm is, you know, they, they what they believe the, the goal is, is enlightenment. Mm-hmm. You know, and enlightenment comes through achieving more and more of that special knowledge. And, you know, it's like, it, what I found out later, though, it's like, you know, dangling a carrot on a stick. You never quite reach it. Right. You know, it, it's uh, looking back on it now, it, it's it's a works-based belief system. And mm-hmm. you can never do enough works to yeah. get there, you know. Yeah. And in about 1996, 96, uh, we were real busy with CE4. I had a couple of hard cases we were working on, um, abduction cases, in the middle of the day, or middle of the summer there. And as we were going into the fall, I got involved with a, a project with a group of guys out in uh, California, the uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory in uh, California, Pasadena. Mm-hmm. They had contacted me because my location was right next to the Kennedy Space Center. Right. And this was the year, 1996, fall of 96. It was the year that we were going back in the space program to Mars. Mm. It was the first time back since 1976 when the Vikings took the pictures of the face on Mars and the, you know, the area of Sidonia. And... Those years from 76 to 96, 20 years in there, a lot of people had gotten caught up in this whole idea that there had been a prior civilization on Mars because of what the pictures showed from the Viking, you know, cameras. Um, And here we had an opportunity to go back and take another look at Mars and get better pictures with the Mars Global Surveyor, which was going up in November of 96. So these guys at Jet Propulsion Laboratory that were involved with this mission decided that uh, they were going to hold a public rally outside the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and they wanted to do it simultaneously with a rally outside the Kennedy Space Center, a public rally asking NASA to put Sidonia, that area of the questionable pictures from Viking, on the docket for 
picture taking by the Mars Global Surveyor mm-hmm. because they had found out that that area was being excluded from, you know, photography. Right. So I thought, yeah, what the heck, you know? I don't know anything about this subject or, you know, the Mars stuff at the time, but I can quickly get educated on it, you know? And uh, I told the guys, I said, you know, I'll help you out. I said, uh, sounds like a good cause. And sure enough, we put these rallies together, and we actually did get Sidonia put back on the docket. And they did take pictures of Sidonia. They did share them with the public. Wasn't what Viking looked like, you know, on the pictures that mm-hmm. they had taken. And uh, as far as I was concerned, it answered the question. They were just, you know, they was just uh, effects of lighting at the time. There's, there was nothing there. But because of that time period during that summer and fall, I was so busy working, dealing with sighting stuff, dealing with investigations into abductions, dealing with this big rally that we put on outside the Space Center. I was getting pretty exhausted. And one of our one of my uh, investigators was a, a girl that uh, I was working with and actually dating at the time. And I was glad she was part of our group because uh, I needed her doing investigations and interviews with uh, experiencers mm-hmm. because most of your experiencers are women and part of the abduction experience is going to be very sexual in nature. Right. And uh, it's a lot easier if I had a woman doing the interviews. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she was a Christian. And here I was, you know, practicing new age and metaphysics. And we agreed not to get into each other's religious beliefs, you know, <laughs> uh, when we first started dating. But she pulled me aside right at the time of this all busyness was happening. And she says, you know what? Um, You're dealing with a couple of really serious cases here that to me seem very dark. And she says, I think you guys, you know, really should have some protection in this realm, you know, with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't think you have it. And I think you should. And I said, what are you talking about? And I reached in my pocket and I pulled out my gemstones that I carry around. (laughs) I said, these protect me from all sorts of stuff. She says, no, I'm talking about real protection. And I said, well, what kind of real protection? You got something better than this? She says, I think so. And I'd just like you to take a look at it. And I said, okay, what do you got? And she reaches down and grabs the Bible and brings it up. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. We agreed not to get into this. Hmm. And and I said, I don't think it has anything to do with this phenomenon that I work in with anyway. She says, I think it does. Hmm. And I, she says, and I think it would help you to be protected by what this has to offer. And I said, no, you know, put that down. We agreed to this. And then she caught me. She <laughs> says, she says, you know, you tell everybody you're the most honest and open-minded investigator there is. I said, yeah, I do. She says, well, let's be open enough to give me 15 minutes to share with you what I got to share. Well, I've just been had <laughs> by my own words. <laughs> so I sat there and I said, all right, give me, give me your best shot. And she shared with me the simple gospel message in a way that I 
had never heard it before. I grew up, you know, with my parents going to church and turned away from the church when I became a senior in high school. Uh, when the Vietnam War was going on, I got very discouraged, you know, with mm. God back then. Didn't want to be part of any of that. And uh, stepped away from the church. My my belief systems changed. And here she was sharing me this gospel message. And my eyes opened up, my ears opened up, and it was like I had been blinded by something. Mm. And I was finally able to see what this message was about. And I said, after she read that, I looked at her and I said, you know what? I want that protection. Mm -hmm. I said, how do I get that? And then she shared with me what it took, you know, to become a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I became a believer in November 1996. Awesome. So, so far, I've had an opportunity to view this UFO phenomenon through the perspective of an agnostic humanist. Mm -hmm. And then later, a few years, three, four years, as a new age practitioner. Mm. And then now, here I am becoming a Christian. Mm. And as I became this new Christian, my leading researcher, the partner to help co-bound C4, he happened to be a Christian also. Mm. And he was excited now that I had come to the same beliefs that he had. He never bothered me with his beliefs either. And I told him, I said, you know, what am I as a Christian? I said, I'm an inquisitive kind of guy. I want to know, and I want to know now. You know, I don't want to take, you know, 20 years of sitting in church to figure out what this is. I said, I'm excited. Teach me. And he says, you know, I just happen to have a friend that has this Bible study course that I think he would share with us. And I said, well, you know, at the boat company, I got two weeks off at Christmas time and New Year's that they give us. The plant shuts down and everybody's out. And uh, I said, I got two weeks. We can sit and watch this thing. Because it's a video course, two hours at a time. And you watch it for 14 days. And it's very intense, very powerful video course on wow. on uh, study of the Bible. And I, he said, I think that bring you up the bar pretty quick. I said, okay, I'm in for it. So every night we'd go to this, his buddy's house and the guy would plug in a VHS tape. Remember those? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we'd, sit for, <laughs> we'd sit for two hours and watch something, you know, dealing with with the Bible. and how to study the Bible and understand it, and, you know, in the story that's involved with it. Well, one night we're sitting there and the guy comes on on the video and he says, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And I thought, wow, that sounds cool. You know, I don't know what it is, but it sounds cool, you know. And he started into the chapter in Ephesians. He said this was the spiritual warfare chapter where, you know, we war against the spiritual realm. And he read Ephesians 6.12. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realm. And I thought, wow. But right as he was reading that scripture, I had this, like a vision, 
front of me, my face, right in front of me. And it was the alien gray. Hmm. You know, I was in the new age and the metaphysical realm for four years, wishing I could see something these people see. <laughs> Never did. But here I was, a brand new Christian, and I get to see something. <laughs> and it was strange, very strange. But as this, more, this alien gray was in front of me, it morphed into the most horrific thing I had ever seen. Hmm. And in that moment, I realized I now know what this is. Hmm. And I said, stop that video. And they're going like, what? And I said, I, I got to tell you what happened here. And I told them the experience that I just had. And it hit them. You know what? He's probably right. Mm-hmm. Because we, they as Christians suspected that this might not be alien. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be something else. But they couldn't prove it. And here I get some kind of crazy vision that tells me, yeah, this is not what it seems to be. Mm-hmm. And I can't prove that, you know. All I can tell them is what I experienced there. And that could be just a trick of the mind or whatever. So I told them, I said, you know what? I don't want to be part of this UFO stuff anymore. I'm going to focus on being a good Christian. Mm-hmm. I said, this, it looks like this is something we shouldn't be part of. And my partner agreed, you know, he says, yeah, let's, I'm with you. Let's put this stuff behind us. Let's focus on, on Bible study. I'm good with that. Let's go. So we tried to drop this. I say tried to drop it. A couple of weeks went by and I get this nagging voice in my head. You're not done yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, what is that? You know, I'm not done yet. I'm not done with what? I'm not done with your work. Going, yeah, I am. I ain't not sort of stuff anymore. God, if this is you talking to me, I, I don't want nothing to do with it. I'm trying to be a good Christian here. You're not done with it. I'm going, what do you mean? And then it came again. You need to take what you've learned back to where you came from. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that. Take what I've learned back to where I came from. God, I can't do that. I can't take the Bible back to these people. They don't believe the Bible to be the inherent word of the creator of the universe. You know? I said, you need to give me something better than that. As a new Christian, I didn't know I don't talk to God that way. <laughs> yeah. But I did. Well, he didn't settle for that either. <laughs> a couple of weeks went by, and I'm talking to my partner about what's happening. And he's like, wow. You know? He says, What's going on here? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and then I get the message, you already have it. And I had to talk to him about that. I said, we supposedly already have what I need to take back to where I came from. Hmm. These crazy new age people. I said, I don't know what we got. Do you? He says, you, can you think of anything that would work for reaching these people? He didn't, he didn't know either. So we went back and started reviewing some of the case histories that we had interviewed, you know, with, recorded with people. Mm-hmm. Because when we met somebody and we decided to interview them, we were recorded on the HS date. So we pulled some of the old tapes back out, went back and rewatched them to see if we were missing something, you know? Well, we had. Because there was one particular case where um, this guy, Bill D., um, as we were interviewing him, 
he starts telling the story about living nearby in Christmas, Florida, which is about 20 minutes from where I live in the, in the country. And he talks about in the evening time, one evening, his dogs were real agitated as it started getting dark. He started seeing light activity across the tree line when it did get dark. He thought there might be helicopters, you know, coming that way from the cape or something. The space center. And then he kind of blew it off and it went to bed. And he wakes up in the middle of the night in sheer panic, in sheer fear, in the middle of an experience. And he yells out in, you know, just total awesome fear. Jesus, 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 or Jesus, Jesus, help me. Hmm. And the experience immediately stops, hmm. and he wakes up in his bed. And my partner and I looked at each other, and I, get, I said, do you remember this? Not at all. Both of us had totally missed that. And that was six months before I became a believer. Hmm. We had totally been blinded or indefinite. So that man's story at that time, it wasn't until we had pre-clear thinking, you know, listening to God that we were able to catch that. And I, I looked at my partner and I said, if this is real, this is huge. Mm -hmm. Because nobody in the realm admits to this, even the possibility yeah. that these experiences can be stopped. That's right. Every researcher said that they could not be stopped. Hmm. They're also asking the question, why does it happen to some people? But they knew that you couldn't stop it. So I thought, i got to find out if this is a real case or not. So I called up a lot of the top researchers that we had read about, you know, their works. I called them at home personally, and I, I said, guys, i got a case here I'm not sure about. And I just like your input on it, you know. They said, yeah, tell us what you got. And I share with each, with each one of them the same story about Bill D. And then each time, the researchers that I talked to would ask to go off the record. They said, can we go off the record and talk about this? I said, yeah, I don't mind. I said, I'm just looking for some answers here, you know. Off the record means that I can tell you what they said, but I, I can't tell you who said who said it? Sure. You know, we respect anonymity in this realm. Mm -hmm. You have to. Yeah, it's something absolutely. that's required as a MUFON member, and it's something that we've always done, even the CE4. Mm -hmm. These guys admitted that they had also come across cases where people had either been praying, singing a, a Christian hymn, um, mm -hmm. quoting scripture, mm -hmm. you know, and calling out in Jesus' name, and the experiences stop. Hmm. And I said, so this is not a single one-only case. You have others like this. And I said, we do. And I said, why have you never shared this? Why do you say in your work that it can't be stopped? And they say, well, we really didn't know what to make of it. Hmm. And you know, I would have been satisfied with that answer. But the problem was is they always wanted to give another answer, like that wasn't enough. <laughs> and the answer that they give, the other one was, we were afraid to go there because it might affect our credibility in the realm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. 
They were worried about their credibility. Instead of getting the truth out there like we were, like you're supposed to, like people are expecting them to do, mm-hmm. people are relying on these same researchers for the truth, but yet they're not giving the whole truth because they're worried about their credibility. Mm-hmm. Well, I told them, I said, guys, I got nothing to lose here. I'm just a guy that works every day, happen to do a little research on the side. I'm not doing talks. I'm not writing books. You know, I tell you nothing to lose here. I said, I'm going to take this piece of the puzzle that seems to be here, seems to be unwanted, and I'm going to put it together and I'm going to bring it to the table. And all of those guys that I talked to said, please do, because we can. And that was where CE Force changed in its focus from then on for the past 20 years. Hmm. Our focus became the research itself, this particular finding that these experiences could be stopped in the name and authority of Jesus Christ or people's belief in Jesus Christ. We started gathering every testimony that we could get our hands on to show that this was absolutely true, that this was possible. Mm-hmm. I've worked with over 600 cases in the past 20 years. I've got documented testimonies where people would actually share the testimonies. I've got about 150 on my webpage. Mm-hmm. I've got another 110, 120 that have come in that I haven't posted up there, but I, I have them that I can share. Actually, I'm putting a book together right now, and I've got about 70 of them in there that haven't been seen before. Mm. But they continue to come in. The more I share shows like this, the more I, I do talks, the more I, new, pe- new people hear about this research, the more testimonies come in. Mm-hmm. So I'm back to what I said in the beginning. How many testimonies does it take? How many, you know, to show you that this is real because whatever number you throw there, it, it's coming. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We've been putting these case testimonies together to be able to show you that what we're telling you here is real. People that they have been able to stop this experience and able been able to stop it in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. So what happened in the beginning, we were posting these on the on the internet for people to see as our findings, as our evidence of our research. What started happening is people were seeing these and they were going, they were having these experiences and they would contact us and say, can you help me? And I'm going, oh my, that wasn't where we were expecting to go. (laughs) Right, yeah. Um, (laughs) Now you're looking at, what do you call it, a ministry? You know, that's another another step in a, you know, different direction altogether. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, you know, looking at what these people have done and how they've been able to help, you know, themselves stop this experience through their relationship with Jesus Christ, I think if I share with you what I have found from these people and you choose to do the same, I think that it would work for you. And it would. 
and they would send in testimonies of their experiences ceasing, and they're getting their lives back to a normalcy mm-hmm. that they hadn't had in a long time, or maybe they never had. Yeah, so let me just ask you a question about this, because you brought up a really interesting point here about these abduction situations midstream would literally be stopped in the name of Jesus. Um, so when you discovered that, what light did that shine on you on the actual alien entity? Uh, did that, because it started with Ephesians 6, when you had the epiphany or the vision of the the white, you right. know, the, or the gray that turned into a demonic face, was that when you began to share with people that their experience, according to your research, is that it's not an, an actual alien from another... Extraterrestrial. Yeah, an extraterrestrial from another planet, but it's actually an interdimensional spiritual being, or can you explain that a little bit? Well, I would try not to be so specific to where I was making the call on what it was. Sure. Um, I would try to share with them that this doesn't appear to be what it seems to be. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that I would be sharing enough information and evidence for people to make a decision to where to go, where when they read what I have, to, you know, what I was posting, they would go, oh, well, this has got to be demonic. Yeah. You know, let them make the call themselves. I wasn't trying to push the demonic issue on anybody. I was just trying to say that, hey, this is not what it seems, and we need to be questioning why this works this way. What... But myself, I felt it to be demonic, and I felt it to be a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Now, these were two different things that I was going to have to focus on to prove, mm-hmm. okay? What I was documenting was basically just that, the re- just that the research finding shows that this is a way that the experience can be stopped. And I'm not seeing any other ways that are as effective as this one. Sure. People say there are other ways to stop it. But usually in the short term, not in the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that we had come across in, let's see, it was about 90, no, 2004, 2005. Um, Ann Druffel had come out with the book, um, Stopping Alien Abductions. And she listed as calling on a higher power as one of those many ways. Mm-hmm. And one of my partners in Alien Resistance, which is a group that I later um, became part of with uh, Guy Malone and Pastor Chris Ward. Um, Pastor Chris Ward pulled us aside because I felt puzzled by this, actually threatened in the research that, you know, she made it as one of her books being such a good big seller in the realm. Um, and pushing us back to just one of those ways. He says, no, no. He says, the enemy's up the war on us here. Mm-hmm. He says, this is a matter of terminology. I mm-hmm. said, what do you mean? He says, she says, stop the abduction experience. Yes, we agree that there's other ways that maybe the experience can be stopped or appears to be stopped. But he says, the one thing we're showing that she's not showing with what we're finding is that people get their lives back. They no longer have the experience. We're helping people terminate the experience mm-hmm. yeah, completely instead of it continuing through their life like with so many others that have the experience. So in your studies, you discovered that people would have multiple experiences of, of abductions? Yes. All the researchers are showing that 
that you don't just have one experience. Some of them may only recall one, but mm-hmm. most of the time, abduction experiencers have had many abductions through their life. Mm-hmm. And that gets to me to where the point where the question I told you about that they're still asking is why does this happen to certain people? Right. And they, they don't have that answer. They still haven't figured out the connection between everybody. But we did in our research. Um, not just one answer, but it was three answers, and it's either one or a combination of any of the three. Hmm. First one was people ask for this experience. Yeah. Wow. And you're going, you know, they really do. Some of them do. I know because I've been at conferences where we had vendor tables set up in the vendor area showing our stuff, but people are so busy looking at things as they walk around, they don't realize we're, you know, some Christians standing there behind the table with a different message. Mm-hmm. All they see is the word alien abduction. Right. And they go, oh, I'd love to have that experience so I can figure out what this is. <laughs> wow. And, I'm, you know, we tell them, you guys need to be really careful what did you ask for, you know. And people really want to know that bad. You know, they want to have the experience. Sure. That's not a predominant, no, you know, that's not the predominant one that we that causes this though mm-hmm. but it was the second one we found and that one is people unknowingly opening the door to this experience yes because yeah. we have found this experience to be an open door mm-hmm. okay you're allowing the experience to happen uh, and by asking for it you're definitely allowing it <laughs> but people unknowingly allow it to happen because they're dabbling in the occult or dabbling in new age or dabbling in metaphysics, mm-hmm. you know, they're dabbling in areas that the Bible tells us not to be dabbling in. Mm-hmm. And that's where they end up getting their experiences. They don't realize that, you know, where that happens, but usually through uh, a lot of interviews with them, I can get them back to where it probably started from. The third one puzzled us for a while. Uh, we had people that were telling us, well, I don't get those first two, you know, and I've had these experiences I remember since I was a small child. And we had to really pray on this one to get an answer. And then God showed us that one. He says, ask more questions Hmm. about the family. Mm -hmm. So we went back and re-interviewed a lot of them and come to find out when we asked them about their family life and what it was like and what their parents were into that they could remember, the open door came from the parents. Yep. You know, and, and scripture talks about this, you know, that the, the head of the family, the spiritual head of the family being the father, if the father doesn't have that spiritual covering over his family, mm-hmm. then the rest of the family, even the children are susceptible to the, you know, the wows of the enemy. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were finding here. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> so, so you, based on your research, um, you have deducted that this, in this experience that people are facing is, is spiritual in nature. Is that what I'm reading? Yes. Okay. And, yes. And the reason for that is, uh, my, one of my research peers, Gary Bates from Creation Ministries International, mm-hmm. um, 
I helped him on his book in the very beginning in 2004 when we first he first contacted me. He was working on a book. Um, he was from Australia. He's now the CEO of Creation Ministries based out of Atlanta, Georgia now. But he was in Brisbane, Australia when he was writing the book. And he wrote Alien Intrusion, UFOs, and the Evolution Connection. Hmm. And in his book, he, he had this, he, he talked about the suspicion of this being um, more of a, you're resembling hypnosis in a way, the way hypnosis works. And in his updated version, he covered a lot more. He added a lot more to the book covering that. And I started working with that myself, looking at it from the same angle. And let's, let me try and explain it to you. I went back and started interviewing some of the experiencers uh, and asking a whole different line of questions. Mm-hmm. When I first interviewed them, I was looking at their, getting their story of the experience itself. But this time I was taking them back and having them relive the experience, but asking different questions hmm. uh, as I would take them back. And I'm not using hypnosis in any manner uh, when I interview um, sure. people that have had the experience. I don't believe that it's reliable. Hmm. And I, do, I believe it can actually be dangerous. Sure. Um, so I, I asked these people a whole new set of questions. I asked them, to look at the experience and that they're, you know, they've got it fresh in their mind. And I asked them, what do you, you know, what can you feel temperature wise? What can you feel? Do you feel like you're, you're standing on something firm, you know, or is it soft? You know, I'm asking questions about um, their senses is what I'm looking for. Hmm. Let me give you an instance on what I'm, what I'm trying to explain here. I can ask you about your last birthday party. Okay, mm-hmm. I said I want you to relive your last birthday party with me. You're gonna tell me everything you can remember. If I ask you the guided questions into what I'm looking for, I can get you to tell me if you whether the ground was soft or hard, uh, whether the temperature was hot or cold. I can tell you. You can tell me if the wind was blowing, an AC was blowing, or whatever. Um, all the senses are there. I can get you to tell me the smells because it actually happened to you. Right. Understand? Yeah. But when I started doing the same thing as they were reviewing in their mind, their memory, the experience, the abduction experience, all of the senses were not recorded. Hmm. Why? Why weren't they? (laughs) They should have been if it was a real experience. Right. Yeah, what we've come to find out is it's not a real experience. The experience is more like a play. If you go see a play and you're sitting in the audience and you're looking at the stage, and let's say the, the play it has to do with a, a living room setting, mm. whoever designs that play is only going to put enough objects for up there that are sensational to your mindset to where you're going to go, ah, this is a living room set. Right. But it's not going to have everything that your personal living room set has. Mm -hmm. It's going to have just enough things to make you understand the setting is a living room. Mm -hmm. Understand? Yeah. This is how this 
works. This is how the abduction experience works. These entities, these spiritual entities, are creating this play in the mind of the experiencer. It's a sensational experience, okay? The memory is very sensational. Mm -hmm. They're only remembering specific things that were planted there. Mm -hmm. This is just like hypnosis. When hypnotists work, they plant suggestions, okay? They give the person suggestions over and over and over to where once put under that hypnotic trance, that hypnotic state, and given those suggestions, when you bring them out, that's their new memory, okay? Mm. This is how these entities are working. This is a battle in the mind, okay? Nobody ever gets taken anywhere. There's no evidence of that at all. Some people say that there's physical evidence from an experience. I agree there's evidence related to the experience. But most likely, it's something that's already happened, but these spiritual entities have the ability to make you think it's related to the experience. Keep in mind, this is a delusion put on by the enemy. Mm -hmm. This is a powerful delusion, and they're going to use anything they can to make you believe this delusion is real. And then you go, well, what's the purpose of this whole thing? The purpose of this whole thing, and my friend Michael Heiser agrees with me on the purpose of the UFO and alien abduction phenomenon, the whole purpose of the phenomenon itself, with all its craziness, is to take man's eyes off the one true God. Yes. And everybody that becomes involved in this phenomenon, this is what happens to them. Because they start doubting God's word. Mm -hmm. Because as they start looking for answers, the church isn't there for answers. Yeah, that's right. It hasn't been. And they go elsewhere for answers. And there's a realm out there of craziness that's going to try and answer those questions for them. But it sends them down a rabbit hole that takes them away from the one true God. And it's now becoming... The new, re- the new religion of the world, mm-hmm. okay? The religion of the future. It, it's so similar to Christianity itself. They're looking for a savior. Right. But they're looking for a savior from the stars. You know, a high technological savior mm-hmm. to save this planet, to save them from all of the, you know, the, the bad things that are happening. Yeah, I was going to say that that's exactly where my mind went. Uh, I was going to say it's really it's like a um, my mind went to the, one of the reasons that it happens to people is because they uh, dabble in the stuff that's, uh, you know, like new age religion and the metaphysics and all looking to the occult. So it's like a, a full circle that kind of keeps people there if they're you know, if they're get introduced to it like it, it, it seems like the experience itself or the um that the attack keeps is a uh, like reinforcement to keep the person in that uh realm of uh belief that they're already in because uh 
you know, if they're opening themselves up and they're looking into this stuff, that's opening themselves to the experience. And then when they have the experience, they find they can find what they think the answers are already in there. So they stay in that. And, um, and I agree. I, I, I actually got introduced to this stuff, you know, like I, I always had an interest in the paranormal as a kid and stuff like that. So I'm, you know, I know that there's, you know, it seems like if you talk to people that are into, you know, it's like all or one, you know, all, all or nothing. If they're into some stuff, they have, you know, they'll start researching, you know, all the other stuff that, you know, is, uh, you know, cryptozoology or something like that. If people are into the, you know, it, it all seems like it's just a big uh, kind of like a package. So it, it makes sense to me that the experience would be there to further like cement that that's where they're supposed to be. Yeah. And they never are able to get out of the cycle if they can't, you know, have the truth, the truth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. That's, you know, keep in mind that almost, almost, I would say close to 80% of all the cases that I've dealt with, they all come to me starting out the same way. When they, when they bring the case to me, you know, I've had these dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is they don't accept that. They say that, but they don't accept that. Hmm. You know, it, it, it has to be real. It has to be more than that. Right. But it starts out as the truth. It starts out as I've been having these dreams, you know, and if they'd have just left it alone as that, they probably wouldn't have gotten into the trouble they got into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, another thing too, with, with the hypnosis, you know, so many of them set themselves up because what's happened in the realm is a person will have these experiences, these memories. Okay, I've had these dreams. Um, they sure sound a lot like, you know, the things that I see on TV shows and stuff about alien abduction. I wonder if I could be an alien, if I'm an alien abduction experiencer. Mm-hmm. So who do they go ask? They go to their family doctor, right? <laughs> Not hardly. Um, family doctor is going to send them to a psych ward. <laughs> right. So right. they go to somebody that will listen to them. Mm-hmm. Who is that? Someone a that... UFO abduction researcher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And most of the secular UFO abduction researchers offer hypnosis to recover their lost memories. Right. So, you know, I, I listened to and read a lot of the transcripts from hypnotic regression sessions that these, these uh, hypnotic, the UFO researchers using hypnosis mm-hmm. have done. And I honestly believe that they're not leading these people with their questions. Mm. But what I do believe is, is the suggestion has already been planted by the person, the experiencer themselves, right? because they didn't do it the right way and go to their doctor like they should have. They set themselves up to find the answers they believe they already have mm-hmm. by going to a UFO researcher. Yeah. And I think when, they, when that researcher puts them under you know, hypnotic regression, that that person's giving them everything that they already think they have. Yeah. Right. 
So, it's it's almost so like it, a, that part can't be trusted. Like so, the worldview that they have that they're bringing with them into the into the session, they already have the presupposition right. that it's real. Yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. Yeah, so, I, I was gonna have one ask one question is. In any of the experiences, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, Amy, that wrote that uh, the book about just the calling out to a general higher power. And uh, obviously everyone knows we're Christian, so I'm not trying to look for a way to uh, uh, devalue the evidence of, you know, what, what the saving grace of Jesus and calling out to Jesus that does that. Have there been any other experiences where... Um, I guess someone coming to you has said, oh, I called out to like Allah or Muhammad <laughs> or in Buddha's name. <laughs> yeah. Is there any experiences or people talk about that having been successful? No. I didn't think so. Interesting. That is, yeah. <laughs> that is really interesting. That's amazing, actually. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, obviously. Right. We, we know the name above all names. But so you mentioned... Uh, Joseph, you mentioned that there was a powerful delusion, and the goal, the the agenda that that you've kind of discovered is that it's to pull people away from the one true God, and to look to a lesser God. Um, when you know, and and you also connected that the resistance to these is found in the name of of Jesus. Is in the abductions? Is there any common themes? that or messages that are given to the person that it has the experience that that are common through that are anti-christ or anti-god in any nature um that are common oh absolutely and my partner guy malone does a great talk on this um i've done a number of uh ufo conferences at the roswell ufo festival that they hold every year in July. My partner, Guy Malone, lives there in Roswell. And uh, we've done a number of conferences there. Where we've had Christian researchers come in, and we all, you know, give a, a, an opportunity to look at this UFO phenomenon from a Christian perspective. Sure. And that's his talk. Uh, yeah. He's put together all the, the research covering the, the communication that's shared with experiencers uh, by the entities. And the, the thread of those communications is always anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-creation, you know, uh, anti-Christianity. Mm. And it, it, these are all red flags that should be looked at if you're honestly doing the research. Mm -hmm. Because with all the different belief systems in this world, why would any alien force or alien entity come from another star system to preach one in right. particular is wrong. Right. You know, just one of them is wrong. Not all the, any of the other. Right. Right. And, you know, as a Christian, I understand why. Right. Exactly. Uh, because there's only two belief systems in the world, actually. When I first started off, I said there were all the many ones in the world, but actually there's only two. Yeah. There's those that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and those, all the other ones that don't. Right. Okay. So it actually is two, but they bring it down to where this one is wrong. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what's interesting when you, being that I came from a, a new age background prior to becoming a Christian. Right. Um, one of my first opportunity to speak at a Christian conference was uh, 19, 1999 in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I had an early mentor in all of this, Dr. David Allen Lewis out of Springfield. Uh, he wrote the book UFO End Time Delusion. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, he was spot on. And he wrote this back in the early 90s. Okay. And, you know, he was ahead of me. One. When I first met, first encountered an opportunity to talk with him, he was fascinated that he had written all of this but had no evidence. And here I came into this, and I had the evidence but hadn't put it all together yet. So, you know, we, we came together really, really fast and, and really powerful. And he, he, he got, uh, offered me an opportunity to, to share my stuff out there and at his conference in Springfield, Missouri, at the Cornerstone Church. And it was a huge three-day conference. And like I said, this was my first talk and that I was ever did, you know, in a conference-type setting like that, and especially in a Christian conference setting. And this, there were 40 different speakers over, over three and a half days, you know. And there were, there were speakers there that had been in ministry for 30, 40 years in their life. You know, here, this was my first time, you know. So I felt, you know, totally humbled to be invited to that conference. Mm-hmm. But the last day on Saturday, it was panel discussion. And I forgot the question that came up, but I got into it to telling them about my partner and I when we arrived there. I told my partner, I said, you know, this big Christian conference, there's definitely spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd like to go see what this town's got going on. He goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, being that I come out of the new age, let's go find their biggest new age store and see what we can sniff out. <laughs> and he said, how do you do that? And I said, oh, you look in the phone book. And he said, they, they advertise. So I found one. There was quite a few actually in Springfield, but I found one that seemed to be pretty big, the biggest display ad. So we went there, and the place was like a giant grocery store converted into a New Age bookstore. And my partner had never been to a New Age bookstore. I said, hey, let's go. So we went there. We prayed up. We went there. And uh, as you walk through the place, like most of them, you know, it's aisle upon aisle of books and crazy things. And, you know, you come across Taoism, Confucianism, Mm -hmm. you know, Buddhism, you know, and um, American Indian teachings and you know you get into every type of teaching other than Christianity and then when you get all the way to the back of the store they got a section on alternative lifestyle well what you have here is those other belief systems that I told you mm-hmm. they're all under one roof yeah. all of them under one roof That's why? It. yep because they all have one thing only they agree in. They're antichrist. Yeah, right. That's a now, that is a great I said, analogy. I love that. Well, it gets better than that. Because <laughs> as we left the store, and my partner was felt pretty dirty after coming out of there. <laughs> he felt soiled. And I said, Yeah, I know. I said I said, I used to live this, you know, but 
I feel the same way you do now. <laughs> and we, we drove back to the, uh, to the church, Cornerstone Church, and I, I did something as we were going there. I, I was counting churches that I passed. Mm. And I'm telling this story, you know, at the panel discussion. I said, I counted the churches. When we got back, I said, I, I counted 13 churches, all the different denominations. And I said, the one thing you've got to recognize here is you've got every belief against God under one roof, in unison, in support of each other. But yet I passed 13 churches in the same town that will not work together or talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) And I said, that's a house divided. I said, we're not winning this war because of that. Mm. And I tell you, it placed that silence real quick. Yeah. But it also woke them up, you know, to seeing how this warfare works. Mm-hmm. Wow. The enemy is confusing us big time from all different avenues. So when you, when you think about the last days delusion and all of that, and, and how, you know, when I think about like the end times and I feel like we're very, very close, I mean, I've, you know, I'm sure every generation says that, but I feel like we're very, very close right now. When I look at the, when I look at all the predictions Jesus talked about, that the signs of the birth pains and all of that, where do you see the alien deception fitting into that that sort of last days category? Because, like, I I watch the news and um, I remember about a year and a half ago, uh, maybe longer than that, because it was Obama, so it was what maybe three years ago. I just remember he did a press conference and he ended it with this just nonchalant um, kind of nod to like soft disclosure about UFOs (laughs) and like the news barely even, you know, mentioned it or even brought it up. But I noticed it right off the bat that he, he just talked about UFOs like and so there's just this. I, what do you think about that? Like this, do you think there'll be like some massive craft that will just show up in the sky somewhere and kind of help out with that deception? Or do you think that the, that the enemy can do such a thing or, or what do you think? I don't know. I really don't on that. I, I know there's a lot of thought about that. Dr. David Allen Lewis actually thought that that was enough. That was one of the things that could happen, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, they could they could actually appear, and we would be actually be fooled by them, you know. And the whole thought process is like back from the '60s in the Brookings report that if entities would appear, beings, alien beings would appear, you know, how would it affect society? Right. And they thought that those that would be most affected would be the church, mm. you know, because yeah. it would go against everything that the church is teaching. Right. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be the other way around. Uh, and uh, if you'd like, I'll tell you why I think that. Sure. Please. <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about, you just mentioned soft disclosure. And I think disclosure is coming pretty hard now. Mm. Uh, I think we've had it, but not in the way that everybody expected it. And I think that's what's crazy. And Last year, I had the opportunity to make one of my stateside trips and go back to the MUFON Symposium, which was held in Philadelphia. And I went to the MUFON 
symposium, and I had an opportunity to meet some some good people there, part of the group. But Louis Elizondo from the government UFO study group, GATIP, was there as the keynote speaker on Friday night at the banquet when the conference started. And I got to sit there and listen to him talk about what the government had found uh, in their research that they had been doing in the past decade. A group that was studying the UFO phenomenon under the government funding, but nobody knew about it. And he's since left the organization is now talking about it as much as he can without going against uh, classified information. Sure. And when you listen to him, and you can find any of his talks up on YouTube, he's trying to give us as much information as we can to where we will go look for the right answers in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to come out and tell us, from what I'm seeing, the government is not going to tell us what they found. They're going to share the findings with us, but they're not going to specifically say we are being visited by extraterrestrials from another world. Because actually, everything is pointing to something different. Right. What what they have found in this research group of the past decade was their, and they had to change the terminology. It's no longer called a UFO. It's called a UAP. Right. Unidentified aerial phenomena. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is because a UAP has specific, has a specific signature to it. A signature when an event happens that is able to be tracked and recorded. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You with me on this? Yep. Yep. In other words, it leaves it leaves a trackable and recordable signature when it happens. Mm-hmm. Whether it's by radar, whether it's by infrared, uh, whether it's by uh, sighting, whether you know, there's a number of different ways. But the one thing that it seemed to show that was very unique from other UFO reports was a UA, UAP report was showing what appeared to be a localized time-space distortion. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. This is what CERN is looking at in Switzerland. Right. They're looking at creating a time-space distortion in a laboratory setting. Okay? Time-space distortion. Back in the history of UFO sightings, going back into the 90s, a researcher from England, Jenny Randalls, started trying to put together and make sense of something that she was seeing in her investigations, where certain people reporting a sighting were giving descriptions of the environment around them being very strange. Mm. Everything would go absolutely silent. Time would be distorted. Mm-hmm. And this unique experience, she could only term, you know, uh, in, in, you know, just trying to give it a title. Uh, she called it the Oz Factor. Mm-hmm. And it was starting to be recognized in different sighting reports. 
investigations, it would come up, where the people would describe that same effect. Well, the government has found that same effect with these UAPs. Hmm. Now, what's happening here is, you know, I'm sitting listening to him speak. I'm, I'm, thoughts are running through my head. And I write down on my napkin what came to mind. And I, with me at this symposium, I had two pastors that both had come from New York um, to this conference. And both knew of me and wanted to talk to me. So I'm sitting there with them at the, at the same table. And as I wrote down on my napkin, I passed it over to them. And I said, guys, look at this. And I wrote down spiritual manifestation. And both of them got real big eyes. And uh, they realized this is what Louis Elizondo was talking about. What he was describing, this time-space distortion event, was a spiritual manifestation, looking at it from a biblical term. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is what Dr. David Allen Lewis had described in his book, UFO and Time Delusion. He had a chapter in there called Flatland. And what he was describing back in 1990 was the effect of a UFO appearing in our realm from the spiritual realm. He believed that these were spiritual entities. So he says, how do they create a craft in our physical realm? Well, they don't create anything. They manipulate time and space and matter for a temporary event, okay? Mm -hmm. They're always short-term. They can make it visually appear as manipulation of matter, energy, to be a sighting, okay? Mm -hmm. When they do that, they also, in the proximity of the sighting, the time and space of that envelope is distortion. And people caught up in that experience that time space distortion. Sure. Hence the pause oh, factor. factor yeah. And I've interviewed people that have had these experiences um, that have been caught up in that. So what we're seeing here is this is an interdimensional being. And a lot of the researchers in ufology are already looking at this uh, and getting away from the extraterrestrial biological entity, that, you know, um, and looking at it now as these seem to be a more of an interdimensional being. Mm -hmm. And that's a, just another word. Interdimensional is just another terminology for what we as Christians believe spiritual. Sure. Okay? Yeah. The ability is the same. What we're seeing here is not a high-technological te alien being. What we're seeing here is the abilities of a spiritual being. The world today can't accept the idea of it being a spiritual being. You know, it can't, can't be a demon, it can't be angels. Okay, we're way beyond that. That's 18th or, you know, 1500s Renaissance thinking. <laughs> right. They got to think in technological terms. So, fine, we'll give you that technological guise, okay? Masquerade of Angels. Uh, yeah. 
that book right there says the whole thing. You know, that was about this experience. Because these are angelic beings, spiritual beings, masquerading as a high technological alien race. This is that deception. This is the delusion. We wouldn't accept spiritual beings the way they actually look today. Elves and fairies of yesterday, we wouldn't accept that. But we would accept the guise of something high high in, in technology. Wow. That's, that's actually an amazing insight that you just said that I had never considered before that, you know, historically elves and fairies were likely also spiritual masquerading, you know, spiritual entities masquerading as something that they would accept. And that was, yeah. you know, more in their world along the lines of their accepted worldview. Um, and so you know, if you look at disclosure, what we have being offered to us right now by the government the government can't come right out and say we're dealing with spiritual demonic beings. Right. I mean, talk yeah. about the Brookings report, but like I said earlier, that part of society would be totally turned upside down. Well, it's not going to be the church if you say that. Right. It's going to be the rest of society that's going to be freaked out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is why I'm having a, such a hard time trying to share this message in a secular UFO um, field. It's because they're deathly afraid of this term demonic. You know, it's one thing to believe that you're being taken and abused by extraterrestrial beings. But if you tell them, no, that's not what's happening, you're being, you're being abused by demons, you know, that's double scary. You know, it's one, aliens might be scary, but demons are double scary. So we're not going to call, we're not going to deal with demons. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, biblically, when you think about it, in he, the book of Hebrews, it tells us, you know, from a, from a, a an angelic, a good, a good, the good side of it all, not the bad side of it all, that it's, you know, we're encouraged to practice hospitality because you might be entertaining angels unaware. Um, and so, sure. so we do know that from the angelic side of things that they can take human form. We've seen that represented in the book of Genesis with with Sodom and Lot when the two visitors come, you know, to, to set them free or deliver them. And, um, they took the form of men because it said that they were, they were men. They were actually identified as men in the scripture, but we knew they were angels. You know, and I think they still do. I, I've heard some powerful stories where people are just blown away by, you know, an experience that happens that, that turns their life around for the good and, you know, that could have only been an angel that was there for them for that. Yeah. Um, but these entities, you know, they're not coming as what they really look like. They're coming in a guise. Yeah. And everything about them is deceptive. Okay. And that's something that, you know, you have to, you have to try and figure, why would they do this? Why would they be so deceptive? Everything they, they've talked about, they've lied about. Uh, everything they prophesied has never come true. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's the total opposite of everything we follow as, as Christianity. Right. But back to disclosure, if if this is what this, if the government is telling us this, that what they're what they're showing us is interdimensional, and it's only a matter of terminology that separates us from the secular realm them saying interdimensional and us saying spiritual, what that has given 
Christianity, believe it or not, is disclosure. Okay, The rest of the world may not have disclosure, but we as Christians have been given this disclosure that everybody else is looking for. We now have confirmed by our government that this is a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. Okay, We can accept that. And the thing is, right now, no better time in the history of this phenomenon has the Christian church got a better opportunity to witness to the rest of the world. Because we can show them, okay, we have the confirmation of what this is now. We All we've got to do is be able to turn that back around and be able to show them that, yes, what you're seeing is real, but it's not what you think it is. Along with the testimonies that I can prove that overcomes this experience and the communication being focused against everything that's Christianity and the government coming out and saying this is an interdimensional entity, we have the tools at our hands right now to be able to witness to the lost that are still stuck believing that this to be high-technological alien beings. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to show them that this God that they're waiting on for, for salvation is nothing compared to the God that we have. And it's already been here, and it's still to come again. Absolutely. Man. <laughs> this I'm just enthralled, man. This has been an um, just hearing all, just the 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 nuggets of testimonies that you shared with us, and then piecing it all together. Um, it just paints just a very clear picture, and uh, it's what a powerful powerful tool, as you were just saying, to really bring people from deception into truth, with an opportunity to really take a disastrous situation that's plaguing them with fear and pain and all kinds of, you know, destructive emotional conditions into peace and truth and freedom, you know. Um, it's just amazing to me. Uh, the the weapons of the enemy's warfare are so wily mm-hmm. and how he's yeah. how he's manipulated over time these things to be what they are. I mean, most people will point back to the 1940s whenever you know, Roswell happened, right? You know, Area 51, that whole thing when the UF, the quote unquote UFO phenomenon really got its, you know, legs under it, if you will. Um, but when you really look at it historically, there's there's all kinds of testimonies from ancient tribes and things like that of seeing. And then, so then you have this ancient aliens deception that comes in with, oh, they actually seeded our planet and all of that too. So, it's just incredible how the enemy has just through generations perpetuated a lie by just changing it a little bit here and there, you know? One of the biggest lies that I was able to uncover in the research was the lie that the enemy puts on us to say that we're powerless Hmm. against him. Because when I started getting these testimonies coming in, I kept looking for the scripture that would back up this whole thing. Here I was having people that were calling out the name and authority of Jesus Christ to stop these entities in their place. But yet, give me the exact scripture which says that they can do that. Okay? And I I didn't have it in the beginning. I had to pray over that and pray to God and ask him for, show me where this is. 
because I knew all about Ephesians 6. I knew that Ephesians 6.12 gave you the who you're battling against. And it says in there, but we wrestle not, 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 not against flesh and blood. Okay? So if it's not against flesh and blood, then we're dealing with a spiritual entity. So mm-hmm. that's who, in context, that chapter 6 is dealing with. It's warfare against a spiritual entity, not physical. Sure. And then verse 13 through 17 tells you how to protect yourself from this enemy. Mm-hmm. Put on the whole armor of God. Most Christians have heard that sermon preached many, many times in their church. Okay? It takes you through the different steps of the armor, and each one has a certain part in place to keep you protected from the wiles of the enemy, who's constantly battling against us, who wants us to not be saved, not have the salvation that's been given to us by Christ, mm-hmm. wants us to fail and burn in the pit living. Mm-hmm. Okay? But the thing with the armor, which I was very familiar with, was if no matter what armor you're given, as a human being, we're busy and we tire. So it's like a football player. If I put you in all this armor and I send you out into this battle, which is a football game, and I put you in defensive armor and I stand you out there in defense, when are you going to ever win the game? Because in defense, you have no offense. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yet these people in these testimonies, by calling out to Jesus, were showing an offensive move, right? Not a defensive move. Where was this offensive move in Scripture? Finally, the Lord shows it to me. He says, "Oh, it's two verses later." I'm like, uh, "What?" <laughs> read on. So I read on. Verse 18 tells you about praying for the saints. You know. Constantly, verse 19, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, Mm. for which I am an ambassador in chains. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) Let's look at it in reverse. I'll break it down for you. And you'll see, this is huge. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That means... You've given yourself over to Jesus Christ in a personal relationship, okay? Mm-hmm. You're committed to Christ. You're bound with him. The mystery of the gospel. We'll get to that one in a minute. But the first part, that utterance may be given unto me. What's the utterance? Who's that going to come from? going to come from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's what we have inside us as believers. Open my mouth boldly. What does that mean? That means you need to speak out loud. All right? Speak out loud to who? Who's the context? The context, we're speaking out loud to the enemy. You have to speak out loud to the enemy. Scripture's telling you that. You can't just wiggle your nose like on Bewitched and think it. (laughs) You have to speak it. That's right. It tells you, you have to speak it. And there's support for that, because in the book of Mark, where Jesus was encountering the different demoniacs that he came across, he had to speak the enemy out. Yeah, He didn't think them out. He spoke them out. 
So here's support for that right there in this verse, that I may open my mouth boldly. So you need to speak out loud boldly to the enemy. What are you telling them? This is the rest of the scripture, that I may make known the mystery of the gospel. What mystery is he talking about? The mystery that's being referred to here is that God had a plan. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, God had a plan to bring connection back, humanity's connection back to him, to bring his family back home. And that plan was Jesus Christ. But he did not let the enemy know all the parts of that plan. The enemy had no idea how this plan was going to work out. That's called a mystery. But it was later revealed. Okay, A mystery is information withheld, but later revealed. That mystery, that information was withheld all the way through the crucifixion and the to the resurrection, okay? Hmm. Jesus thought, or the enemy thought that by crucifying Jesus, right. to get him out of this era. Okay, so he convinced people to crucify Christ. Crucify arose on the third day, enemy goes, uh-oh, that's not good. <laughs> but you know, he didn't stick around, did he? Right. He rose up to the right hand of God. So the enemy goes, ah, I'm back in charge. That's not the end of the mystery. Before Jesus arose to the right hand of God, he told his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait, for I send you the comforter. Forty days later, on the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came down the tongues of fire upon them. And they spoke the many languages, preaching the gospel to the people that were there. The mystery was revealed on that day, that as believers, we would receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What's the big deal with that? Because that Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus Christ are all one in the same. Mm-hmm. Jesus was given authority over everything above the earth, below the earth, and on the earth when he walked this earth. Because we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have access to his name, that same authority over everything below the earth, above the earth, and on the earth. This is the best kept secret in Christianity. (laughs) that we have that same authority to stop the enemy dead in his tracks. When I hear that put on a whole armor of Christ's sermon, I never hear that verse seven, that verse 19 taught. Mm-hmm. I only hear the defense taught. I don't hear the offense. Right. That best kept secret is that offensive move that has, that is given to, the ability for that move is given to every single Christian on the planet. That's right. And if we could only be taught it and learn it and accept it and use it, Mm -hmm. we could change this world. Absolutely. That, I believe, is one of the most important findings that we came across in all this research. And the testimonies that I have is the evidence that supports that. 
Right. This is has started out dealing with aliens and UFOs, <laughs> but I what we found was so much bigger. Yeah. yeah. Than all of that. That's right. That's right. But you're, I'm just, that, all I'm going to say is amen. That's all I got to say is amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joseph, this has been an incredible conversation. I mean, uh, I'm so thankful that um, I learned about you and that you were willing to come out and just hang out with us for an hour or so and share with us what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um how do you see the future moving on with CE4 and what you're doing with them? Well, I finished my book and I've got it in proofreading stage right now. And I've got an artist working on the, the cover. And I, I tell you for 25 years, I tried to put this together in written form, but I was never a writer. Hmm. I mean, I could talk for hours on shows like this, but I, <laughs> I can't prepare something and put it together. But last April, last April, it came to me after dinner one night. I was look. I just looked at my wife, put my fork and spoon down, and said, "The book's finished." She goes, "What? The book?" And I said, "The one that I've been waiting on to try and write. You haven't written it." I said, "I know, but it's finished." And what it was is, the whole story wasn't there. And if I'd have written it and published it at any time sooner, I would have been missing something. And I sat down and I started putting this together, praying to God, I said, give me these words you need to be put out. And I finished it within just a few months. And I've sent it off to get it reviewed so I can get it in print. And I think if I can get this out there and and make it available in the right way, um, I think we'll be able to make a big dent in this whole phenomenon. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like I said, I'm going to have 70 plus testimonies in this that nobody's ever seen. Yeah. And I'm still sitting on another 50. I might have to do another book with. <laughs> well, when. But, you know, there's something else. There's something else that, uh, to all of this, too, is for 20 years, I've been trying to help people in America mm. come out of this experience come out of this delusion, come out of this lie. And the whole time that I was there, I would listen to top researchers when they do their talks say that this was a worldwide phenomenon. It's happening all over the world. But, you know, once I went to the other part of the world, I realized that that's not true. You may be a case here or there, but this phenomenon doesn't exist here in Korea. Hmm. It doesn't exist in a lot of countries. And I had to question that. Why is it not like it is in the U.S.? Right. And what I found out was it seemed to be based on time. The answer I got when I asked a Korean here, you know, they all speak pretty good English. Um, I asked them about this phenomenon. Oh, I don't have time for that. You know, and then they go on. They don't even want to talk about it. It's not that they don't know about it, because I found out that they all learn about it in school. Uh, It's in their science books, you know, the subject matter. This is what the other parts of the world see, the modern parts of the world. Westernized civilization experiences this phenomenon. So they know about it, but they don't want to deal with it. 
And because they don't deal with it, they're not what? They're not opening the door to it. Hmm. They're too busy to do that. These people here in Korea, it's, it's a culture that's on fire for success. They go to school, the kids, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. They don't even think about leaving class. In America, kids skip school every chance they get. They don't want to stay in school. They don't want to go on to college. Your middle class, your middle-aged people, they're in business or they're working for a business to pay for those kids to go to school. Mm. If they're elderly, they're probably still doing the farming. Or, you know, whatever. Um, they're too busy trying to be successful. Okay? This country is all about trying to be successful. I go to Japan. I made 20-some trips to Japan because of my job over the nine years I've been here. Going on nine years. And I see Japan about, they appear to be about 30 years ahead of Korea. Uh, in their progress to, you know, becoming successful. Mm-hmm. So I see that they have a little bit more time on their hands to relax than the Koreans do. Guess what? Japan has a number of experiencers and sightings, mm-hmm. but still nothing like the U.S. Right. So where in the U.S., people don't want to work, you know. Uh, they don't want to go to school. They have all sorts of time on their hands, so what do they do with it? They spend it looking at crazy stuff on the Internet. <laughs> Guess what? All sorts of things happen. Yeah. So this whole thing seems to be based on exposure, time on your hands, and having the time to expose yourself to the phenomena. What if, what if I had the ability to getting this book out, getting it translated, which I got translated and waiting on it, to be able to reach a part of the world that has never opened the door? and keep them from opening mm-hmm. that door. Yeah. So that's hopefully what I I can do. And if I can show that that's possible, that's just more evidence to be able to reach the people that are in America and the westernized to say, you two can fix this, mm-hmm. okay? Hmm. Well, when, when you get that book published, when it's ready... You got to let me know. We would love to have you come back on, and we definitely would promote the book and uh, give you an opportunity to talk about it if you wanted to do that. Oh, sure, I'd love to. Yeah, and definitely get. I'll definitely buy a copy as soon as I can. Yeah, if, you, if you'd sign it for us, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's even better. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. We, no problem. I, you I, know, the, the the whole thing is just trying to get the tools that are needed. For people like yourself and people in the church to be able to have the tools that they need to understand this phenomenon and use it to be able to help those that have gotten caught up in it. Yeah. And yeah. also to warn those who may, like you said, that yeah, the nation of South Korea yeah, or anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Who's yeah not yet been exposed. I love the way you think, Joseph. I, I love the way you pull things apart and... Um, you know, it lends itself really strongly to your investigative, uh, you know, uh, background there and, and what you do. And it, it's actually, you've challenged me to think a little bit differently too. Um, so I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate everything 
that you do and that you have done over the last 20 years to step into a realm and just continue to follow God as he's been opening doors for you and and just being obedient in that way. Uh, it's definitely a unique, and I know you may not label it this as a ministry, but it's definitely a unique work that you get to take part in uh, alongside of God. And uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm actually more of the, uh, I, I write a lot more elegantly than I speak, so I can't say as uh, as much as uh, Turner just said right there, but I was going to say, I do appreciate uh, everything that you do, and I've learned a ton, and I, yeah, uh, we'll keep you in our prayers and keep the ministry yeah, or <laughs> definitely in, in our prayers, and hopefully stay in touch with you and keep up to date. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got connections of, you know, new stuff you come across or any questions down the road you might have that want to clarify, you know, you can contact me anytime. Sure. That's what I'm here for. Awesome. I only work and live here because it supports what I do, you know. Sure. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Joseph, and uh, we will look forward to that book coming out, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on again, and we can um, we can have a, a an even a better conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at AllOutWarCast. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.